Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Stories and scandal water. It's where you need to be. Stories and scandal water. Let's pour you a cup of tea. Hey, Ashley. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Candy. <laughs> 2022, hoping this is a really great year. I, I am hoping the same. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, honestly, on the day we're taping this, it is December 19th mm-hmm. uh, in the morning, but we know that this is going to come out on the first Tuesday in January. And January we are 4th. That's right. When we are super excited about that. Mm-hmm. In fact, just a, a quick little recording note since we're talking about how this is playing out. We do obviously have to record some of our episodes a few weeks in advance because Ashley has to work her magic with editing. Yes. She's so good at that. But I did have a friend ask, a friend and listener asked just a few days ago, you know, hey, what about some of those older episodes that you guys taped like in the beginning? And, mm-hmm. you know, w- it was Rudolph new or was it older? A lot of our episodes now are new we actually yes. only have four left in the archives so in the, to speak in the disney vault we've only got four left <laughs> the scandal water vault <laughs> yeah, there yes. you go we so we have four left that will be coming out two of those you'll hear in january and two you'll hear in february and then from that point on it'll all be new yeah it'll be post-launch you, post, you know exactly we didn't get together as frequently as we are now so we had only amassed about 12 episodes mm-hmm. and that got used up pretty fast and then when we decided that we we were going to do themes our original goal was just to publish those first 12 episodes right but then we kind of decided oh we like themes better because we're very maybe we i thought it would be cooler <laughs> to have themes so yeah it's going to be interesting for me because two of our episodes are going to be now and two of them we recorded i think last february and mm-hmm. i think you're going to be able to tell because one of the gifts that i picked up for christmas was we took a trip to the coast charleston we went and toured charleston and uh biltmore and i came home and i was like oh i live in kentucky as soon as i got to the coast <laughs> and the ocean everything in my sinuses cleared out and as soon as we hit like the mountains it felt like i'd been stung by a bumblebee (laughs) my friend olivia was here and i came home she's like what happened to you so i'm a little stuffy today sorry guys you sound funny oh thank you thank you but on that note talking about you know the new year Mm -hmm. and and new recordings Mm -hmm. we have some exciting new things planned for 2022 and we just actually opened a box of new merchandise yes we did we we were in between recording sessions and uh we got a knock at the door and we have stickers we have stickers and t-shirts i'm excited about that i I love stickers i like t-shirts too but that's gonna be neat and we're gonna try to figure out a way to sell some merch and maybe give away some merch oh 
I know. Why don't you, why don't we talk about the listener testimonials and the giveaways? Great. Okay. This episode actually was inspired by one of our listeners. Mm -hmm. Big shout out to Jonathan Mertz who wrote in and gave us the suggestion for the topic. You'll hear this, of course, in just a few minutes. Mm -hmm. But it was such a cool idea. It inspired us to kind of have a little, I don't know if you want to call it a competition, a giveaway, I guess is a better Mm -hmm, word, mm -hmm. where we're going to ask you guys to go to scandalwaterpodcast.com, which is our website. Mm -hmm. And on the homepage, you will see there is a place that's always there where you can submit any kind of comments or story suggestions for us. And we are going to ask you to to do that. We we love interacting with you. We want to hear your ideas. We know you've got great suggestions. We're going to be looking at your suggestions as they come in. And every month that has a fifth Tuesday, Mm -hmm. that fifth episode will be a listener suggestion. So you'll get a shout out. We might send you a little sticker, mm-hmm. some kind of little prize just for participating. For participating do you and being happen chosen. To have, do you happen to have the list of the Tuesdays in front of you? They will occur on March 29th, May 31st, August 30th, and November 29th. Awesome. And remember that we need to know stuff ahead of time. You can't submit for something, whatever the March thing was in March. We'll need to know kind of next month or pretty soon. So make sure you go to scandalwaterpodcast.com. Give us those ideas. Also, we'll be doing a few other prize giveaways. In fact, we so appreciate when you give us those ratings and reviews. That means a lot to us. And so if you go to your podcatcher of choice, I know not all of them allow this, but Apple Podcatcher, for example, some of them do. If you go on and you give us a rating and review. Five stars, we hope. (laughs) We hope. But go on there. Give us your rating and review, and once a month, we will choose a winner to win a prize, whether t-shirt or sticker, Mm -hmm. something of your choice. Sounds good to me. I would do it. All right. Well, are we ready to jump into the episode? I think so. I think we got all the business out of the way. Thank you guys for sticking with us, and I hope you all had a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Absolutely. And let's jump into some scandal water. Jonathan, you gave us a pretty challenging topic. Mm -hmm. I am going to say that. Mm -hmm. So before we jump in, let me just go ahead and put a disclaimer disclaimer out there. It's not necessarily this part here at the beginning, but when we get more towards the end where where Jonathan gave us a really specific focus that he was interested Mm -hmm, in hearing mm -hmm. us explore, it gets a little legalistic and not my thing. I'm sure you did an amazing job. You do great research. (laughs) We're all in this with you. We're supporting you. We support (laughs) you, you, Candy. Thank you. But I also know we have some listeners with a law background. Kelly, I know you're one of them. But we also say we don't know what we're talking about. We don't know what we're talking about. (laughs) So you just like, you, you just just let us know if I get something wrong and it'll be yes. just fine. Okay. All right. So here we go. To get started, here's a question that, that we can both answer. All right. When you were a student in school, actually, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at what point did you become aware of the issue of plagiarism? Do you remember, like, do you have any stories related to, like, you know, plagiarism or getting caught cheating or being accused of cheating i don't think so i just know you would i don't believe i ever did this but you would copy homework i happen to know what this topic is and i've had to deal a little bit with it because Mm -hmm. of writing and music is the worst trying to get the Mm -hmm. rights to stuff no i don't think i ever dealt with it in school okay i can remember in sixth grade in sixth grade science as a matter of fact i was asked to write a report Mm -hmm. 
And I felt like I had done a really great job. Okay. I mean, I spent time on that report. Yeah. And I thought I had come up with, it was long. And, you know, at that time I thought yeah. long meant great. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and so I was like, my teacher is going to be really pleased with me. And she, I did not get in trouble. Okay. But this was when I became aware of plagiarism because okay. she pulled me aside and she was like, hmm, Candy, what do these words mean here? And like, uh-huh. what is what about this part? What is that talking about? And um, I was not, you know able to answer her questions really well and she was finally like where'd you get your information and and we looked at the source and I thought that if I basically copied huge passages from my source or sources but changed some of the words Uh that that was okay like Uh I I remember like oh but I changed words but most all of it was theirs candy is what she's telling me and she's like "Mm," and she let me redo it i didn't Uh get any trouble it was a learning experience that is good that's good that she taught you something yeah she did and i wrote a new report and and you know i certainly i mean i got to do double the work but (laughs) i learned do you know what do you remember what the report was on it was something to do with like bones like chicken bones (laughs) or something i mean it was nothing nothing that has served me well later in life to see what your what your wording of chicken bones would be (laughs) my my lesson on plagiarism was way more valuable than whatever the topic was in science (laughs) let's pretend it was chicken bones i like that there you go so anyway this is the topic that we're going to be digging into today with our focus being on the entertainment industry you just basically kind of hit on the fact that it plagiarism and copyright mm-hmm. all of these things they cross so many right, different right. I think forms bef- of entertainment you jump, before you jump into it we need to say why we're doing this because january 1st oh, yes. is known as public domain day mm-hmm. and it is do you have what that means before no, you I go right on it? okay so from what i remember about it every january 1st new works are released into the public domain which means that you can now as a consumer you can take it and you can manipulate it you can produce it and there are no um, there's there's going to be no blowback on you. I made the, I don't remember. Oh, I think I made this joke in the gaslighting episode. The F. Scott Fitzgerald novel, um, one of his novels has come into the public domain and I said I was going to change it to the say- The Great Gatsby. The Great Gatsby, thank you. Had come into the public domain, I was going to change it, nothing else, but just say written by Mr. Zelda Fitzgerald, which <laughs> I could do. And there's a lot of Agatha Christie books. Uh, the Man in the Brown Suit is one of my very favorite Agatha Christie books. And I was going to give it to some friends last year for Christmas. I could not find her version. Because mm-hmm. people have now taken it and they have re- redone the cover and they can sell it. Wow. They can put it out there and they can sell it and, and they can get the money from it. Sherlock Holmes, the Benedict Cumberbatch mm-hmm. version, we all know that. In his version, he's a grumpy Sherlock, right? Which mm-hmm. he becomes, he kind of becomes, as the series goes, he gets more mellow and becomes more lovable. Well, the Enola Holmes film, she's a fictional sister. Her brother is Sherlock in the film and he's friendly and he's nice. And I believe that movie was in danger of being sued by the Sherlock estate because they said you based his personality on the later works mm-hmm. of Arthur Conan Doyle and those are not yet in the public domain. Yeah. So I don't know what came of that, but I remember that they were in the potential of getting in trouble. You have pretty good background on this. And actually, the angle that you just took is mm-hmm. basically what Jonathan's suggestion was to cover. He was okay. really asking mm-hmm. us to kind of dig into the issue of, of public domain and the Mickey Mouse Protection yeah. Act. And we're, we're going to get to that. Okay. But I thought before we dove right into that, that okay. we would kind of take uh, the circuitous path. Very good. How Very about good. pulling out the, that word? I was thinking that, <laughs> that the road less traveled. There you go. So we were just talking about, you know, my, my school example and living there for just a moment in that 
school situation, that school setting. Did you know that Helen Keller was accused of I plagiarism? I did, yes. This Tell one. me what you know about that. So what Helen did is she wrote a story for Mr. Indagnos. Mm-hmm. And he was really proud of the story, and he had it published. And it turns out that it was almost a co- verbatim copy of something that already existed. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Frost something. The Birdie and his fairy friends. Okay. By Margaret T. Canby. And, but she called it the Frost she, King. Hers was the Frost King. The Frost mm-hmm. King. And he was very embarrassed. And it kind of severed the relationship between Annie and Helen and the Anagnos and that school, mm-hmm. the Perkins School for the Blind, because he thought that she had cheated. And I think they investigated it. And they feel like she was probably read that story at a very young age. You know how you sort mm-hmm. of don't realize you're being influenced by it, but you are influenced by it. Mm-hmm. And they, she never, I don't think she got in any trouble. She had to apologize for it and rewrite it. Maybe, or maybe I'm making that up based on what you had just said. But I do remember the incident being a real friendship ender. Yeah. For the two of them and the uh, Anagnos. Yes. Great memory. In the research I found, it said that it this incident led to what she referred to as a trial, a two-hour trial where she mm-hmm. felt like she was being interrogated. They questioned her. Mm-hmm, by her teachers and the staff. And Annie did leave the school after that incident. It did, as you said, break that relationship. And Helen was said to have been so traumatized by the experience that she never wanted to write fiction again. Oh, I bet. That's why she yeah. lived in nonfiction. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And I, I know you know this, but after reading about that incident in Helen's autobiography in 1903, which of course is years later, Mark Twain was offended on her behalf. Yeah, they and, were good friends. Oh, they were. Mm-hmm. And he wrote to her in a letter. Here is his quote. Oh, dear me, how unspeakably funny and owlishly idiotic and grotesque that plagiarism farce. As if there was much substantially all ideas are secondhand, consciously and unconsciously drawn from a million outside sources and daily used by the guard with a pride and satisfaction born of the superstition that he originated them. Basically, he was saying he thought all ideas were... Yeah, there's there's that theory that there's, there's only... F- four stories out there in the world. Or I think uh, in the book, Save the Cat, Blake Snyder says, tell me the same thing, only different. Mm -hmm. I thought we would share that because his idea is, same as what you have said before, exactly, that we are all retelling the same stories. Mm -hmm. But yet the law is very, very specific about this issue. And it's good. You know, as Mm -hmm. a person who is a writer, I appreciate them from that side of it. Mm -hmm. But then the the other side of it, you're like, goodness, I just want to be able to use this stuff, but you have to pay. You have to get compensated for your your work and that's it's good yeah and you have to be so careful i mean for example even on our scandal water facebook page or on our website we try to be so careful to credit sources sources. for anything that we use whether whether it be a picture or Mm -hmm. a text or an article because we don't want to infringe on somebody else's work we want to make sure that we follow everything to the t right to the t use it to the t So Auburn University had a nice little overview of the difference between plagiarism and copyright infringement. Oh, okay. So here's what they said the difference is. Copyright does not protect ideas, but protects the fixed expression of those ideas. Okay. And it says a person will infringe on copyright when that person copies, distributes, displays, or something along those lines, the work in a manner that is in violation of copyright law. And this is a legal thing. Okay, so let's take it back to your example 
from school. What would that have meant? So you said you accidentally, of course, plagiarized large portions, but that was plagiarism. Well, I actually have an entertainment example I'm oh, going to okay. share with you. Okay, so good, if you hang good. on for just a sure. second. Plagiarism is when you pass off the work of someone else as your own okay. without acknowledgement of the original source. Okay. So if you give credit to your source when you're using those ideas or their works, then you can avoid plagiarism. Okay. So they gave the example that let's say Shakespeare, right? Shakespeare has put out his sonnets. And if you were to post his sonnets on the website and say, put your name on it, okay, you would be plagiarizing. Because so for example, if I published Great Gatsby written by Ashley Raymer Brown, that is. Right. Because it's in the public domain. It's uh-huh. out there. It's able to be. To but be, I did not write it. But you did not write it. And you're mm-hmm. saying you did. Gotcha. Plagiarism. Gotcha. Now, if it is something that is copyrighted, mm-hmm. let's say there is a top 40s song. So actually, actually, Scott Fitzgerald is guilty of plagiarism all this time because Zelda wrote, no, I'm just saying, I'm just, <laughs> I'm picking on Scott. But if you took this top 40 song that is copyrighted okay. and you put it on the website and you did give credit to the singer, but you did not have permission gotcha. to use that, mm-hmm. you have violated copyright okay. protection laws. Okay. Now, you'd be violating both if you took that top 40 song without their permission you posted it and you said you wrote it oh, you would have plagiarized yeah. and violated copyright gotcha so it is tricky and there are so many examples that we could talk about that happen or have occurred across the entertainment industry so i thought we would just hit on some different genres or different forms of plagiarism that have come up okay or copyright could be either one so music examples what's one that pops into your mind when you think about uh, what, what it was what's the Millie vanilli thing does that follow into this oh well, they, they lip-synced yes they just weren't singing at all they but were they pre- were pretending that it was them so yes. it was somebody else they were singing it they were lip-syncing it as, as if it was them so would that be that would be I don't think they, I don't think they violated either of these laws I think they were just um, misleading the public I okay. think the outcry was that they wanted to put these people's faces uh-huh. on this this group uh-huh. and they weren't you know the other artists and, and sometimes they do, do that does mm-hmm. happen because the real artist will lip sync a performance seance remember Ashley Simpson was lip syncing mm-hmm. her performance on Saturday Night Live but that that was her own voice though yeah it was her own voice and sometimes you just do that because your throat may hurt or you're just doing the performance and you don't feel right I don't I don't know whatever reason maybe you have mm-hmm. social anxiety and you can't perform so you're just lip syncing that right. I don't I don't know but uh, the other one I thought of was isn't there's something with Ice Ice Baby and Under Pressure? Yes. Absolutely. Okay. That was actually one of my top examples. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Vanilla Ice's 1990 hit was mm-hmm. Ice Ice Baby. Mm-hmm. I probably can't even do that. That's probably an infringement. I don't even know. <laughs> he was, what you just did, he was sued for using the baseline from the 1981 hit Under Pressure, mm-hmm. which of course was the collaboration between Queen and David Bowie. So the issue was that Vanilla Ice did not, you know, of course, get their permission. And was it exactly the same? Well. Did they prove it? Here's here's what he tried to say. Okay. Vanilla Ice tried to claim that the baseline was different because he had added one additional note, uh. but he later said he was just joking oh jk lol mm-hmm, right <laughs> you can't do that in the defense court you yeah, can't not, say not funny jk can't be your defense <laughs> 
And so he was sued for copyright infringement. The case was settled out of court, and David Bowie and Queen received an undisclosed sum and uh, it was a lot. songwriter credit. Oh, yeah, okay. They got credit for it. My kids knew about the case with Avril Lavigne. No kidding. Okay, yeah, there's another you know girl. There's another recent girl. Uh, 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 she sang "Good for You," and she's recently had to add people as songwriting credits. I don't mm. know enough about that. I'm yeah, sure our younger either. listeners would know more about that. Huh? Olivia yeah. Rodriguez, maybe. Okay, well, tell me yeah. what your kid said. This was the one that came to Camden's mind. He said, what about Avril Lavigne? Well, I looked it up. In 2007, she was sued for copyright inf- infringement by the writers of the 1979 song, I Want to Be Your Boyfriend. They said that her song, Girlfriend, was a ripoff of their tune. The band that was suing her was called the Rubinos. That was their name. Just to give you a little bit of an idea, here's how her song went. Hey, hey, you, you, I don't like your girlfriend. No way, no way, I think you need a new one okay the rubino song went hey you i want to be your boyfriend trying to say i want to be your number one now it almost sounds like a call and response it's interesting they they actually had where you could listen to it in the article Mm -hmm. and you could hear them up against each other and there definitely were similarities when you heard them Uh now what i thought was fascinating was in this npr article that was covering this particular case it said that in in deciding a case like this They had to dissect both songs. You would have to go sometimes down to note for note, measure for measure to either prove similarity or non-similarity. You would also have to find out things like, had Avril Lavigne ever heard this song before? Had she ever had that? Yeah, but that lawsuit ended up getting settled out of court. Interesting. Which, which says, in that my they mind, found enough. Do you have the blurred lines? That's yep. next. Okay, that's the next one. Yes. What What do you remember about that one? I don't know a lot about it because I I don't listen to a lot of modern music. I'm surprisingly shocking. I know my taste is more vintage in, <laughs> in music. I just remember it was a big deal when it came out it that was. he had, and he is the son of one of the people we talked about earlier. You know, the jingle writer Alan Thicke. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This was the one that actually came to my mind first because I remembered this being such a big deal. And I remember what a huge hit Blurred Lines was. So it was, they said, the biggest hit of 2013. And the case brought against that was very unusual because the family of the late Marvin Gaye did not accuse Robin Thicke and Pharrell Williams of direct plagiarism of lyrics. What they claimed was that the song Blurred Lines mimicked the style and the feel of Marvin Gaye's 1977 disco hit Got Together. Give it up. And so this uh, went on for a, it was a while. Style. They said you copied his style? Yes, which that's a key thing because okay. they went through this long process. Uh-huh. In fact, we just said it was the biggest hit of 2013. This thing didn't get settled until, until I think 2018. So this wow. went on for a while. But in court, I mean, they were going round and round. Pharrell Williams was said that in the process of co-writing the song, he was just trying to channel that late 70s uh-huh. feeling. And for people who don't know, he also wrote the song Happy. Yes, yes. Pharrell did. Robin Thicke basically was trying to say that he wasn't even part of it. He said he contributed little to the songwriting so it sounded like he was pushing it off on Pharrell a little bit there but the final settlement gave five million dollars to be paid to the Marvin Gaye family along with an additional 50% share of future royalties so they they won it yes and it sounded like there might have been two different decisions because it said something about an original verdict in 2015 but then this final decision in 2018 so it must have gone around and around a little bit okay but even at the time that this came down the judge made the comment that this allowed the Marvin Gaye family 
quote, to accomplish what no one has done before, copyright a musical style. Right. So, right. yeah, the judge could tell this might open this a is, huge can dangerous. of worms. Yeah. And this article that I was reading said that Honestly, it really has impacted things because since then you've seen so many more artists who are trying to prevent issues. Uh-huh. They just go ahead and give credit. They said yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like Taylor Swift, she just shared credit with Right Said Fred for one of her songs because she's like, I don't want to do this. And then Ed Sheeran did the same thing. He gave credit to the writers of TLC's No Scrubs, which was you know written back in 1999 after fans said that his 2017 single Shape of You sounded a little bit oh. like their work. So they just go ahead and give credit to try to prevent any kind Even of Even if there wasn't, they right. go ahead and give it. Yeah, better safe than sorry. So there were a few music examples. Okay. We're going to move into some different examples now. Should we pause, though, and take a break first? Sure. And we are back. With this issue of plagiarism and copyright infringement, we are now moving from music mm-hmm. over into the world of the silver screen. All right. Or, or, And actually, we're still in literature a little bit because this kind of deals a bit with comic books. Oh, okay. So Disney is involved in this lawsuit situation that deals with Marvel and their work. Specifically, it's around this... Spider-Man. Well, it's and other people too, other okay. other works too, but it's around this issue of copyright termination. Here's where I had to to try to put on my my thinking brain and figure out some of these legal terms. But okay. here's what it sounds like. We have some of these co-creators of works like Spider-Man mm-hmm. from a long time ago. Steve Ditko was one of those co-creators. And now some of their family members, their heirs, are coming back and they're saying, we deserve some of the rights and some of the money related to these works that our family created. Our family created, yeah. right? Disney says no. Why? <laughs> well, I mean, there are a lot of reasons. Okay. But they are caught up in the middle of this whole issue. Just to kind of give you an example, seven years ago, they went up against the family of the comic book legend Jack Kirby, who tried to do the same thing. And at that point they won disney won D- disney won mm-hmm. so now some some new situations are coming up and they're they're back in this fight so a little context in the mid-1970s congress decided to allow authors or their heirs yeah. to reclaim rights once granted to publishers after waiting a statutory set period of time. Oh, I see. So, okay, a lot of the times the comic book creators would be working for a publishing house, so the rights would belong to the publishing house and not the creator. It was a work for hire, basically. You are 100% correct. It is all about that work for hire issue. Now, we're going to come into the other issue in a minute, that whole lengthening the copyright term that's going to deal with the Mickey Mouse Protection Act in the public domain. Okay. But right now we're kind of living in this issue of the work for hire. Okay. Okay. The basic idea is that by waiting all this time, these authors have another chance at getting these these copyright grants, okay. you know. But the problem is it's tricky in lots of ways because you can't even in some cases really determine authorship because... Who these did pe- it? Right. Who created this? Because if it was a group of people who were working together, writers and illustrators creating this Marvel comic storyline, uh-huh. who's the actual creator? Who who's actually the one that said it? It's, mm-hmm. like, it's like on a photograph it doesn't matter if you 
Candy stage the photograph, if you say Ashley or, or whoever the subject is, if you stand here and you do everything except push the button, if I'm the one that pushes the button, that photograph belongs to me. Do you remember that really famous quote unquote selfie from the Oscars a long time ago? Like they said it's the most expensive selfie. Yes. Ellen had yes. The, that photograph belongs to Bradley Cooper. Because, because they he determined pushed the he pushed the button. <gasps> Are he, you serious? I'm serious. He owns that photograph because he pushed it. So that's the wild thing to me. Right. He wasn't the one that orchestrated it. Uh-uh. He did not. But he is the one that created it because his finger pushed that button. So okay, that's interesting. It's very interesting. And yeah. this also triggered, I don't know, if, are you going to talk about Taylor Swift at all? No, go ahead. Well, my cousin explained this to me because I am a peripheral Taylor Swift. I listen to her music. I wouldn't call myself a Swifty, but I, she does great music. And my cousin really likes her, my cousin Lauren. And we were in the car and it said something Taylor's version. And I'd heard a lot of these things coming out that was Taylor's version. I said, what, what is this? Mm-hmm. And the way that she explained it to me is that when she was very young, she signed with a record company and the record company owned the rights to her songs Mm -hmm. well then this record company sold the rights to I think I'm gonna get this wrong so I apologize to all you guys who know the story I think they sold it to a private businessman so he would now get all the money for her royalties Mm -hmm. what she is now doing is going back and re-recording her earlier records and then the radio stations are now playing her version Mm -hmm. because that's what she gets the royalties from oh so they're supporting her they are yeah they're supporting her she's done a lot to make sure that artists get compensated Mm -hmm. for their work (sighs) again don't know it. We'd have to look into it. But she's done something with Spotify as well. She wouldn't let her. Maybe I'm wrong on the record. Com- the the streaming service. But she would not let her stuff be put on there. Because she wasn't going to get enough money for mm. it. And you could easily say that. Oh she's just after money. But she's also. This is her career. Yeah. So you know, it's kind a, of like. It's mm-hmm. a cause for her. She's trying yeah. to like stand up for the rights of the artist. Of the artist. Yeah. But I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure I'm correct. And I'm, I'm sure someone let us know if I'm wrong. But that's why she's re-releasing all of these records. Is so that she'll get the royalties. Mm-hmm. They don't belong to her. You're example works beautifully here because what they said was back in the 1960s a lot of the workers the writers the illustrators they worked on a freelance basis Mm -hmm. and it was as we alluded highly collaborative Mm -hmm. so the quote from this article said so who really is the author of a character like spider-man Ditko, Stanley, Marvel, all of yeah. the above. Like, yeah. how do you determine yeah. is that? Is it the person that said, let's name him Spider-Man? Right. Or is it the person that said, we're going to have a, a guy who wears a red and blue outfit? How do you narrow that mm-hmm. down? Right. So they said these days, when a work is created as made for hire, that's the phrase, which means that the employer is deemed the author, they have a written document. It's very legal. Okay. It is very clear. Okay. But back in the 1960s, when everybody was operating in this when way. it was the Wild West. Mm-hmm, they were still under the copyright law from 1909. They did not have to have that kind of paperwork. Okay. So Disney believes, since all of these contributions by freelance writers and illustrators were done at Marvel's initiative, at that Marvel's expense, then they think these characters were authored by the company not by those individuals. But it's said that Disney does have a fallback because even if the judges decide that Spider-Man, Iron Man, Thor, you know, other characters are not works made for hire and that the rights grants can be terminated, then even then Disney can say, 
well, but these characters are still joint works. Marvel would still remain at least a co-owner. So one way or another, Marvel's still in the mix. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's due to past settlements with these other families, the, the Lee family mm-hmm, and the Kirby mm-hmm. family. Now, under our U.S. copyright law, if you are a co-author, then you are still allowed to freely use and license the work. Okay. But you have to share the revenue with each other. Okay. So this means that no matter what happens in court, the comic book author heirs cannot block the making of new movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Okay. So that's like one positive for Disney and Marvel no matter what. Right, right, right. But the drawback, of course, for Disney, if they lose, even if they're still a co-owner, they're going to lose huge amounts of money. Because because, they'll have to share it? Yep, because they'll have to share. And, of course, there's also the possibility of more court battles because this will be an ongoing fight. And since co-authors are allowed to freely use and license They can create stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh. Yeah, the heirs would have the right to license rights to these iconic superheroes to other studios. So, like, for example, they gave the example of what would happen if Thor was licensed for a Superman movie. Oh, that'd be really interesting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I like that idea. And then the final... Pay attention, heirs. (laughs) So the final point that they brought up was that it could affect the marketing or showing of these works outside of the U.S. because our copyright laws are pretty tight, but they only apply to the U.S. So foreign copyright laws might be the ones that would come into play if, for example let's say we're in Canada and they say well these superhero characters are not work for hire then their copyright laws might say well you can't show this here or yeah. the money works differently or you know like it might yeah. have different it rules. It is such a murky water. Mm-hmm. Yeah you can see why my brain hurt a yeah, little bit. Yeah but you're doing a great job. I think oh. it sounds great. Well thank you. So that's the work for hire issue. All right. Now let's move into the one that Jonathan specifically asked Yes for. here's the specific one that he talked about. And that is the one we've now alluded to like two or three times. Yeah. It's this ongoing battle by Disney uh-huh. to keep Mickey Mouse from falling into the public, public domain. domain. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything about Sonny Bono in there? I have a little bit about okay. his law, but I th- I want you to fill in because you okay. probably have some I may. I information don't know. We'll that I don't have. Okay. I cool. bet you do. Okay. Okay. So there was a reporter, Megan Tillet, who wrote something for a site called The Courtroom, who gave a really nice overview. So some of this is from Megan, some of it's from other sources, but I appreciated the suspense succinct little explanation. So I'm going to pull some from her work. It said that Disney has enjoyed copyright protections over Mickey Mouse for like almost 100 years. But that can change very soon as copyright laws protecting Mickey Mouse are set to expire in 2024. He's one of several other works that might enter the public domain within the next few years. So for example, Batman, Disney Snow White, some of the earlier Looney Tune characters, all Uh of them might expire somewhere between like 2031 and 2035. So like we got a lot coming up soon. Okay. Now, Disney's Mickey Mouse was created back in 1928 And at that time, the character fell under the Copyright Act of 1909. Mm -hmm. Under that act, Mickey Mouse would have been under copyright for 56 years, meaning that the protection over the copyright would end in 1984. But then, of course, throughout all this time, that character became so iconic and so associated with Disney and and the Mickey Mouse brand that it literally has brought in like billions of dollars for the company. (laughs) And Disney has become very invested, yes, in keeping control over that character in response 
response to the threat or the you know impending loss of that copyright, the company lobbied legislators hard to get those copyrights extended. And in 1976, when the Copyright Act was reformed, the protections for Mickey Mouse were extended from 56 years to 76 years. That's not as much as I thought it was going to be. Mm, yeah, it was only yeah 20 years, which gave them this additional protection that was now supposed to run out in 2003 rather than 1984. Well, as 2003 started getting yeah. closer, Disney started fighting again. And so they lobbied Washington, D.C., and they got, of course, those copyright, you know, they got those extensions. This is where Sonny Bono comes in because okay. he was also pushing for that yeah, extension. Yeah, he's got music too. Mm-hmm. I wonder, okay, I wonder why they couldn't just trademark it. Then it would be there, or have they trademarked it? Is that something totally separate? Can you trademark? It is a separate thing. I okay. don't, I couldn't tell you the difference, but I remember seeing that it is a separate thing. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Sonny Bono, what do you do? Well, he was part of the group that was pushing for that extension as well. Sure. In fact, the act when it finally was passed is called the Sonny Bono Copyright Term Extension yes, Act. Yes, yes. Although people sarcastically also call it the Mickey Mouse Protection Act. Oh, I didn't know that. I've yeah. only heard it called the Sonny Bono. Oh, no. If you look on the internet, as uh, many people, I think, refer to it as the Mickey Mouse Protection oh, Act as they funny. do the other. Oh, yeah. funny. Do you have some history about what about Sonny Bono and no, why he was pushing no, I that? mean, I just remember that he did it, that he, he lobbied for it to be the author's life plus mm-hmm. 70 years maybe maybe on, on music and I don't know anything about the Mickey Mouse part of it but I know that he was trying to protect the music for the heirs and all of the, all of that sort of thing and mm-hmm. that uh, that's about all I remember it's just that he was heavily involved in getting this extended you actually have a really good memory because it says right here in my notes this extension was passed in 1998 that's probably why I remember because mm-hmm. I would have it would have been about 18 and I would have been interested in all that and you know learning about that and him and Cher and their mm-hmm. uh, songs and stuff like that. Yeah, and it specifically says that additional kinds of work that were created on or after January 1st, 1978 would enjoy copyright protection for, quote, the life of the author plus 70 years. Yeah. Exactly what you said. Yeah, which is why I think we didn't, we went through a really dry spell of not having anything in the public domain, and mm-hmm. now it is starting to pick up again. Th- there were several things. You have to look it up. You can just type in public domain day on Google, and you can see everything that's released. Hmm. That's now allowable to be changed. I need to do that. Well, it also protects corporate works for 95 years from the year they were first published or 120 years from the year that they were created, depending on whichever came first. Okay. So, I mean, we have like the... It's lifetimes. mm, Yeah, I mean, this, yes, huge chunks of time. Mm -hmm. Little side note, just quick little rabbit trail. Cher is suing Mary Bono right now because, yeah. His second wife? Yes, because she's claiming copyright laws and in wanting to hold some things the rights to it whereas Cher is saying that there were things that were settled in some kind of 1978 marriage settlement that she had with Sonny Bono and so they're in dispute according of who to owns wh- what? yeah yeah there's which some, wife owns it yeah I don't know the details so don't hold me to that sure. but, but there's some kind of conflict going on right now but back to this so what this means with that extension act it means that Mickey Mouse is protected until 2023 on January 1st 2024 the copyright for Steamboat Willie will expire. So that means with it will be expired Disney's claim to that 
particular Mickey Mouse version. Maybe it's the style of Mickey Mouse. Mm -hmm, Exactly. After 2024, they won't have any copyright protection for Mickey Mouse's original design. Design. That's sort of like what I was saying about Sherlock. It's 100% what you were saying. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It said that they, Disney will still own copyrights for the later versions. Okay. And it will also own Mickey-related trademarks, okay? okay? Okay. And we'll come back to this again, but but for example, I think the original version of Mickey Mouse did not have white gloves. Right. That particular, to the point of if you were to try to put a Mickey out there who had the white gloves, then you have violated because uh, the original version doesn't not. have that. Mm. Yep, exactly. What they said was that most copyrighted works become commercially worthless within a decade or two. Like, this is unusual stuff. You know, most the time it doesn't even matter right right but with this is a multi-billion but with something like this that is still generating significant revenues 60 years later 70 years later it's huge it's a really big deal now here's what's happened in the meantime it says nowadays we have this well-organized grassroots lobby against copyright expansion now we have like a bunch of people who are trying to lobby the other side they say anti-expansion what's their reason i think just individuality being able artists to be able to do things i think they just feel like corporations are taking you know too much control i mean i didn't really i'm making some inferences here I, i didn't really see their specific reasons but it said this is a thing now here's one little quote i can read to you it says the rise of the internet and its remix culture means that a lot of people now benefit from a growing public domain in ways that weren't true in 1998. Okay. That includes big companies like Google, but it also includes grassroots communities like Wikipedia editors and Reddit users. And this emerging copyright reform coalition flexed its lobbying muscles in 2012 when it overwhelmingly defeated an internet filtering bill called the Stop Online Piracy Act. That was a quote taken directly from a source that's basically saying a lot of people are rising up saying let us use this stuff okay and they've got some power mm. they, they defeated this one bill what's happening right now is we are still in the midst of this we've got some better organized people who are trying to stop copyright extension but then we have huge companies like disney who are fighting hard really hard mm-hmm, to extend it again so to dig back into what you were saying a second ago it's just the copyright for the original version of mickey mouse that is set to expire on the 1st of January in 2024, not the rights to the other versions. Okay. So it even gave some examples in this one source. It said, so let's say that you wanted to create a Mickey Mouse toy and you did not want to get authorization from Disney. You could do that in 2024, but only if your Mickey Mouse toy looked exactly like... Steamboat Willie. Yep the first one that is released because anything that's modern Mickey is still protected. Okay. And then it talked about the example with the gloves and the early Mickey Mouse cartoons were black and white. So if you wanted to make a Mickey Mouse toy with modern colors, you might have to carefully research when those colors first appeared because it might be black and white. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. And all of the different changes with Mickey's appearance, like they're super subtle, but Disney would be protecting it. So if you cross the line with, you know, I bet they did that on purpose so that when the copyright would expire that they would still have later versions that would still be protected Mm, oh disney (laughs) 
they went on to say they gave your Sherlock Holmes example. Oh, really? Yes, that is actually in this in this article. Oh. And they talked about the same legal issues are going to arise with other characters like Batman, Superman, Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, all of those when they fall into the public domain over the next 20 years, then these same battles, these same um, But they're disputes. anticipating that in 20 years people are going to care. I mean, they might in 20 years, but some people may not know those characters. You know? They might not, but like but Batman? Are, uh, well, yeah, sure, know, Batman. I mean, but maybe Bugs Bunny. We don't watch Looney Tunes as much anymore. They're not as big as they used to be. Yeah. I don't know. That's true. I mean, you don't know. But Batman, Superman, some of those, I think they it's a given. They probably will be. Yeah. For sure. That's kind of where we are right now. We don't know what's going to happen with this lawsuit. It's still in the works, but we're only two years away. Yeah. Two yeah. years away. And I think I remember seeing, because I, I knew that Jonathan had asked for this, I think I remember seeing that people have already created works mm-hmm. and you can go apply to purchase it, but you will not receive the work. I think you, can you go ahead and pay for it? You can pay for it and get a token. And get a token, right. Mm-hmm. So you can put in to buy something that has this Mickey Mouse design, but you're not going to receive the product for another two years. Yeah, you redeem it in 2024. And they refer to it as, I think, the famous mouse. They don't yes, use the name. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. That's the internet collective MSCHF that's doing that. Wow. Yeah. And people are buying it. Doing it, yeah. It's amazing. Ooh. Well... That was a technical one. Oh, that was you did amazing. Well, thank I you. I followed it. It was interesting <laughs> and engaging. Well done. Armchair psychologist. For our armchair psychologist segment, what are your thoughts? Do you feel like are you pro Disney on this? Oh. Are you on the side of the I don't know. Let's 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 walk through these waters. Okay, so you and I have both written things. Mm-hmm. I have written plays. You have written novels. Novel, right? Yeah. Couple. Couple novels. How would we feel if in 50 years, so in our lifetime, people could take the stuff that we had made and they can now start profiting off of it? We would not be happy about it. Not happy at all. Not happy at all. But mm-hmm. yet we, looking back at old works, like, oh, I really want to do something with somebody else's work. Or it all seems good until you look at it, until you have a vested interest in it. Mm-hmm. It gets frustrating for me as a person who writes plays but all, but cannot write music. I wish I was given that skill. <laughs> I wish I was, but I just was not granted that. And so it's hard because there's so much music that you find that you go, this would be perfect in this part. Right. But you can't license the rights or it's too expensive right. or, you know, and and I understand it's their work. So I don't know the happy medium there. I want my work to be protected, but I also want access to that. Maybe it is the lifetime, you know, maybe the lifetime plus X amount of years. And after that, then you know what, just put it out in the world. And I'm just grateful that people are going to still as long as my name would be attached to it. credit. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think I think that would be maybe the best best of both worlds. If your name remains attached to it, and at least it's something that you've left in the world. And it can be like your legacy, even if you're not receiving money for it or or like the splitting, you know, just make sure my heirs get something get Mm -hmm. acknowledgement and that this family line is still there, then that would be okay. I, I don't know, I'm just sort of talking this through as I'm doing it. But in my own case, maybe that would be I would be grateful my lifetime I get the proceeds right a certain amount of years after my lifetime my heirs would get 100% of the proceeds but then because we have such a short memory I think I would just be grateful to be remembered past Mm -hmm. that point what do you think well I mean that makes sense to me I'm stuck I think with the other scenario Uh like what if it is a collaborative effort yeah what if if four of us sat down and Mm -hmm. wrote this amazing work that did really well Uh I think you would have to to do something like would we all have to agree I think so 
I think you would. I think you'd have to have the contract and say, this is this is only the four of us. We have mm-hmm. to make group decisions, which is why it gets complicated. Sure. But I think the, that's the only fair thing. Unless three of them go, you know, I'm, I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. If you ever do something with it, just put in the contract, I get 10%. But you do whatever you want with it. Right. I, I don't feel I don't feel motivated. I'm, I just don't want to be involved in this. I'm happy to have helped you create. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's also part of why I am such a... People have worked with me. Kind of, I'm kind of like this, this credit policeman. Or if you worked on something, if you contributed all I want your name in the credits because I know what it feels like not to get credit for an idea because that's happened to me before mm-hmm. where you've given you, you've not even given someone an idea you've collaborated right and then it's been taken yes. and used and you go that but that was my idea and it's it feels like this oh you took you took a part of my soul and you mm-hmm. are now marketing that and I didn't give you permission to do that I thought it was just a conversation or whatnot so it's made me very protective of mm-hmm. ideas I agree with you on that I also also have so much respect for creativity and ideas. I try to be conscious mm-hmm. of giving credit to the people who who offer those things mm-hmm. because because it's so valuable. Yeah, it is. And, and it's it's such a, a highly intellectual, such a highly skilled thing mm-hmm. to be able to come up with that. I mean, you just you just don't want to steal that from somebody. You don't want yeah. to take that away from like somebody. Like I said, it's, it feels like it's a piece of their soul or a mm-hmm. piece of yeah. them. Yeah, and it, it, you need that because if it gets taken. If you have credit taken away from you enough, or if you go, no, I don't need the credit, then it you start to get hurt. Feelings get hurt mm-hmm. because then the other person may go, okay, I'm not going to give you credit anymore. You mm-hmm. didn't, you never asked to share it. So now you're not going to get it. And then there's kind of resentment. And I just think it's better to share the credit from mm-hmm. the beginning. What's interesting, because listening to you, you basically also brought out that idea of clarity. You mm-hmm. know, if we're going to collaborate, mm-hmm. let's be super clear, yeah. whether it's a contract, whether it's an agreement, whatever, but let's have great clarity clarity around yeah, yeah. how are we going to proceed how right. are we doing uh, you know the rights or whatever which which took me back to the fact that we have all these legalities and and your example with Bradley Cooper being the owner of that picture yeah. because he's the one who touched touched, touched the button yeah. and that's i guess this is why we have to have these laws and these regulations and we have to have such explicit mm-hmm. you know regulations around everything because otherwise how do you determine i'm still kind of stuck on that you know if it's this if it's marvel if it's whatever company and these people created it for them, but yet they were freelance. Right. They, they were individuals who were writers, who were artists, who were, yeah. Ill, you know, whatever it may be. Like, how do you determine that if you don't have an ironclad contract? I, you would have to have a contract. Right. You would have to, yeah. the Marvel would have to have to say that whatever you create under us is ours. It's our, it, it's our intellectual property. Mm-hmm. And then you would have no recourse. You either agreed to it and you signed that contract yep. or you left and you did your own thing. Yep. Yep. Right? And good luck. Because mm-hmm. you're not Marvel. Right. <laughs> That's yeah. what it is. You know, it's it's that's it's hard. It so is so hard. So it might be the trade-off. Because yeah. I did this for Marvel, now I I have this yeah. renown. I have right. this fame. My name right. is out there. I have the ability yeah. maybe to get other jobs or it, You know whatever. what? It's sort of like, let's let's put it down to regular people like you and I. It's sort of like if you make an independent film, which I have, and if you decide to go with a distributor or if you write a book and you decide to go through traditional publishing, which is you go through a publishing house versus self-publishing. It is if you have a distributor... 
you get that instant recognition, which we had. Our first film was distributed and it ended up on television, lots of different places. But the distribution company, because they did most of the work, ended up with the bulk of the profits. Mm -hmm. And that's the trade-off. Right. Now, the second film was independently produced and, you know, we would get more of the profits, but it's less well-known. Right. And the same with books. If you self-publish, there's sort of this, people kind of, they're getting better about it now, but they kind of poo-poo self-publishing. Oh, you just self-published. It's really hard to Mm self-publish, but you would get a larger amount of the proceeds. However, even if you list it on Amazon, they're going to get up to 50% of the proceeds. You may say, why is a book $19.99 on here? Well, it's $19.99 so that the author can get $4. Right. Goodness. This is complicated stuff. It is very complicated. Yes. And it's stuff you don't even think about. No. Until you jump into these worlds and go, oh gosh, why am I in this world? (laughs) (laughs) So many things behind the scenes. This has been a very eye-opening for me. It has made me think of about a lot of things that I've never thought about Mm -hmm, before. mm -hmm. So that was, that was really interesting. And I appreciate Jonathan for suggesting this topic for us. Thank you so much. Let's cheers him. Yes. Cheers to Jonathan Mertz, who was our very first listener suggestion. So thank you, buddy. Cheers. This episode of Scandal Water was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown. That's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. All music was written, composed, performed, and mixed by Josh Martin. The artwork was designed by Matt C. Adams, while our website was developed by Joshua Reith. If you like what you hear and you want to help keep the Scandal Water brewing, please go to our website, scandalwaterpodcast.com. Just click on your podcatcher of choice, then hit follow to subscribe. And while you're there, you might as well leave us a five-star rating and review. And don't forget, it's always more fun when you share your tea with others. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening.